And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. 
But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Almighty Father, we just confess that we believe in you. I expect that for some of us, that's an adventurous thing to say. It's an adventurous thing for all of us to say. It's something that none of us can say, except you pursue us, and you have pursued us. You have pursued us in Jesus Christ, and you have pursued us in the Holy Spirit. So pursue us now, and make yourself clear to us. Make your, give us uh, the faith and the trust that you desire in us. And will you grant us that taste of joy that is not, doesn't come from wishful thinking, or, but rather is a miracle that you work within the hearts of those whom you call by name. So call us by name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated, but as you do, Alleluia, 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 Christ is risen. Well done, well done. Be ready for that at any moment. Um, friends, happy Easter. It's, it's wonderful to see you here. And um, Easter uh, is a day of joy. In fact, uh, of all the Christian holidays, uh, Easter is the most joyous. Part of the reason for that is that uh, every single ounce, every single ounce, um, preachers always overstate things, but I'm not overstating things. Every single ounce of joy, real unique Christian joy that comes not from us just trying to work it up, but rather comes from our relationship with God, every single ounce of joy comes one way or another from what this day signifies, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If it's true, then the rest of Christianity makes sense. If it's not, none of it matters and doesn't make sense at all. But here's what I want to show you today. Um, it will take an eternity for us to unpack the fullness of the joy of Jesus' resurrection, but right now, I want to point out one reason why the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is good news. Uh, and the one reason, um, it comes from our Acts reading. So we're going to focus there. And here's what I want to point out. The resurrection of Jesus is good news. Because it means that Jesus reconciles people who have plausible and maybe good reason to hate each other, and then not only does he reconcile them, he builds them into a family with each other. And I want to point out that that's good news. And part of the reason we need to look at that is this, there is a special kind of joy. Once again, it's not a joy that we can kind of work up, that we can um, experience just by wishful thinking that is only released when Jesus Christ reaches into our lives, finds in our hearts those, that secret hidden hate that we cherish, even though we don't often even know it's there. He finds it, he kills it through his cross, and then in its place he brings resurrection, and he brings a resurrected kind of love, particularly for people whom we otherwise had good reason to hate. That's what I want to show you. 
this morning. And we're going to do, we're going to do, uh, I'm going to show you that by looking at the book of Acts, because this story that was just read is uh, one of the very first times where Jesus affects this reconciliation between enemies. So look at it with me. Um, let me set up the story just a little bit. In order to understand this story from the book of Acts, it's just kind of excerpted out of its context just a little bit, like readings in church often are. So let me create just a little bit of context. Um, there's two main people you need to know about, Peter and Cornelius. Uh, Peter, you've probably heard of. Um, he's the Jewish fisherman from northern Palestine, close friends with Jesus, leader of the early church. Cornelius, on the other hand, uh, might be new to you, I don't know. Um, he, he was not Jewish. And he was not a Christian. And he was uh, not originally from Palestine, though he was stationed in Palestine, and he didn't fit any of the profiles that you generally as, uh, associate with someone who might become a Christian in that early movement. And the reason is he was Roman. And not only was he Roman, he was a Roman soldier. And not only was he a Roman soldier, he was a Roman officer. He was a centurion. Now, you have to understand that by the time you get to this point in the book of Acts, you read that and you think, this is the bad guy. At least he was the bad guy from Peter's perspective. Because remember, <clears throat> Peter is Jewish. And his nation... Already at this point, 2,000 years ago, already at this point, his nation had been brutalized by empire after empire for nearly the whole of their history, 1,500 years and more. Uh, you remember the empire of Egypt, and then the empire of Assyria, and then the empire of the Babylonians. And then the empire of Greece, and we're not done yet. And then the empire of Rome. He has this huge, Peter has this huge national background of being brutalized by occupying forces. And in that first century, there was a widespread Jew Jewish expectation that the Messiah was going to come imminently. And the expectation was that when the Messiah comes, the Messiah is going to be the judge. And one of the great things about the judge is the judge is going to get the bad guys, namely Rome. And so Peter, you must understand, and his community had 2,000 years full of reasons to hate a guy like Cornelius, or at least everything Cornelius represented. And for Peter, it wasn't just a distant history. It wasn't just kind of impersonal because of his, uh, his national history. Rather, just a month, perhaps, before this, Jesus himself had been killed by somebody a lot like Cornelius, a centurion. So it's quite personal for Peter. Peter had reason to hate a person like Cornelius. But on the other hand, Cornelius had reason at least to be deeply suspicious of somebody like Peter. Remember, Peter, I mean, Cornelius is a centurion. His job is to uh, maintain order. And in this century, there was just a flurry of Jewish revolts against Rome. So a guy like Cornelius has to be on his guard. And he can't trust too easily. Cornelius has reason to hate somebody like Peter. And you know what's interesting, even as I say all this, 
Um, it's remarkable. I, I, do I need to point out that this kind of tension between people is relevant today? I don't, do I? I don't have to illustrate that in our nation. I'm painfully aware of what happened in Sri Lanka earlier today. This sort of hate is everywhere. And it brings up the question for me, what sort, what could possibly reconcile people who have good reason to hate each other? I mean, just consider how easy it is for groups to hate each other and to keep hating each other over a long period of time. And then consider how difficult it is to achieve reconciliation that lasts. And then consider, finally, just how much joy could be released if there was reconciliation between people who have good reason to hate each other. Can you imagine? All right, go back to Peter and Cornelius because it got worse before it got better. How did it get worse? Well, Jesus rose from the dead. Did that make it worse? No, but it looked like it did. Why? Well, remember, the Jewish nation is anticipating the arrival of the Messiah, and they're expecting that the Messiah is going to arrive as the judge. He's going to throw down evil. He's going he's to beat the bad guys. Now, once, when Jesus goes on the cross, everybody, everybody thought, well, that's it for Jesus being Messiah, because dead Messiahs aren't helpful. But then Jesus rises from the dead. And certainly for Peter and for the rest of the early Christians, they understood that if Jesus Christ was risen from the dead, that meant that he, in fact, was the judge. It's, Peter mentions that in verse 42. It means that Jesus himself is the judge and that Jesus is in charge. It, the resurrection means that there has been a regime change at the center of the universe. Now, why does that create a problem? Well, it obviously creates a problem for a guy like Cornelius, does it not? Was it, it was Rome that gave the order for Jesus to be killed. And then God unkilled him. And then the claim is that God set him on the throne of the universe, which causes huge problems for the Roman regime. And somebody like Cornelius is all bound up in that. And when there's a regime change, you know what happens to people who are allied with the previous one. It doesn't end well. It's a problem for somebody like Cornelius. He's on the wrong team, it appears. But then it's also a problem from Peter's perspective, and maybe even worse for Peter. Why is it worse for Peter? Well, do you remember what happened just hours before Jesus died? And Peter, do you remember that, that scene? When the chips are down, and it looks like Rome is winning, what does Peter do? Remember? He denies Jesus, doesn't he? Three times. He says, I, I, I'm not on that guy's team. It, and he doesn't actually say, I'm on Rome's team, but boy, it sure looks a lot like a traitor. And everybody knows that traitors are the worst. Now, catch what's happening here. Because on the one hand, Peter and Cornelius have good reason, apparently, to hate each other. But put the resurrection of Jesus in the mix, and it sort of eclipses that problem and gives a new problem, and that is that both Peter and Cornelius are in the same boat. They are both judgeable by Jesus, if you could put it that way. Peter denied him. Cornelius is part of the regime that killed him. They're both got a problem. Pause there. You know when um, tribes and parties hate each other? We can all identify, can we not? 
usually, and, and tell me if, if I'm wrong about the, the tribe that you're part of. Um, usually, when two tribes hate each other, um, part of the, the way they create identity for themselves is by vilifying the other and by pointing out just how innocent they are. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm on the good team, and they're the bad team, one way or the other. I'm innocent. If you really understood this situation, you'd know that I'm innocent. Here's the problem. Whenever somebody meets Jesus, when two warring parties stand before Jesus Christ, inevitably they always find whatever legitimate quarrels they have with one another, they always find that when they stand before Jesus Christ, all of their innocence isn't quite as innocent. And they find themselves guilty, not innocent, but guilty, not necessarily with, with respect to each other, though often, but before the throne of Jesus Christ. They're guilty of something. That they, their innocence no longer is something that they can stand on. Now, I've just been describing that in the abstract, and it's probably not offensive, but if you apply that to your own life, or if I apply that to my life for just a little bit, and I claim that I am no longer innocent, I am going to have trouble with that because I like being innocent. Because it's part of how I tell myself I'm okay. Well, watch what happens. Easter morning. What does Jesus do? Well, it's a busy day. He rises from the dead, defeats death, hell, all that kind of stuff. And then he goes around and he talks to a bunch of people. And eventually he chases down Peter. And do you remember what his conversation with Peter? What does he do with Peter? The first thing that he does, I mean, you know, if Jesus has risen from the dead, that means he's the judge. And Peter knows that he's a traitor. And he knows what that means. Judges get traitors. They get them. Right? But what happens? Jesus meets Peter, and instead of judgment, he gives him amnesty and pardon and reconciliation and restoration. And then not only that, as if that wasn't enough, Jesus commissions Peter as a leader and an ambassador of the amnesty and grace and mercy that he has just received. Now, stop. What kind of judge is that? Is that a judge who is um, tolerating evil? Guilt? Corruption? Don't we call judges that do that corrupt? But he's not corrupt. How is he not corrupt? Well, remember the path that Jesus went on to become the judge and to become the king. His path to kingship is the key. It went through the cross. And on the cross, Jesus Christ, on the one hand, he suffered everything that you can possibly be outraged about towards somebody else. He was unjustly treated. He was unjustly targeted. He was unjustly victimized. He has every reason to be outraged at every evil you can possibly imagine. But nevertheless, instead, what he does is he suffered himself the punishment that his victimizers deserved. He's the judge who died on behalf of the guilty. He's the king who died in the place of the traitors whom he has every right to condemn. And therefore, because the cross is Jesus' path to kingship, the moment he meets Peter, he meets Peter with amnesty and not with retribution. Now, Peter could have refused it. 
If he would have refused it, he would have stood under Jesus' judgment forever. But instead, he received it by faith, which is to say, Peter no longer trusted in his own arguments for his own innocence. He laid that down, and instead, he received the free gift of Jesus' amnesty, pardon, reconciliation, and restoration. But now, go further. Go further with me, okay? And imagine, imagine, this is going to weird, be weird, but the whole thing's weird. That's fine. Imagine that you could look inside Peter's heart. Not his physical heart, but you know what I'm talking about. And imagine that you could see his cowardice. Imagine you could see his fear. Imagine you could see his shame and his guilt. Imagine you could see all of that there, ugly. And then imagine that the cross comes, the cross of Jesus Christ comes and extinguishes it and kills it and destroys it. But then, imagine that the resurrection of Jesus Christ into that void resurrects love and joy and peace and courage and compassion in replace of all of those other things. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that heart change? Can you imagine what that was like for Peter? And can you imagine the kind of beauty that that animated through his life? But then, keep going. Imagine that heart change within Peter. And then let me ask you a question. What do you think that heart change does with his hatred towards a man like Cornelius? If Jesus loved Peter so deeply in that manner to forgive his treason, how might that change Peter's way of responding to Cornelius? Now keep that in mind, and you are ready to see how the resurrection reconciles enemies and turns them into a family. Because, just, go back to the reading, just before this reading, both Cornelius and Peter have a dream. They're miles apart, but they both have dreams, different dreams. Cornelius is during the daytime, so we call it a vision, but whatever. Cornelius, he sees an angel. And the angel comes to him and says in so many words, listen, God is going to bless you. The God, actually, of your enemies is going to bless you, but you're going to have to humble yourself, and you're going to have to listen to a Jewish fisherman. I don't know what it was like for him to have to humble himself in that manner. But then on the other hand, Peter had a dream, and in Peter's dream, the Lord comes to him, and it's a big elaborate dream, we don't have time to going into it, but the Lord comes to Peter and says, Peter, those whom you previously despised are now going to become your brothers and sisters, and do not despise them anymore because I am risen from the dead. Now all that's background. In this reading... This is when Cornelius and Peter come face to face. Cornelius humbled to listen to Peter. Peter humbled and ready to offer his, enem his enemy the amnesty that he had received from Jesus Christ. And that's when Peter opens his mouth. And it's almost like his jaw drops. Verse 34. Now I understand. Okay, truly I understand. Finally that God shows no partiality. And then verse 36, Jesus preached peace to Israel, but then Peter, do you see this? He goes, it's in parentheses, but it's really important. Now Peter sees that Jesus is Lord of all, not just of Israel, but of all nations. And then the bottom line is in verse 42 and 43. And he commanded, Peter says, us to preach to the people and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. 
To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. Now, the moment Peter said those words, offers Cornelius that amnesty, the same thing happen- that happened in Peter now happens in Cornelius. The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and Cornelius entrusts himself to Jesus Christ. And once again, if the camera could reach down into Cornelius's heart, what you would see is the Holy Spirit unseating off the throne arrogance and pride and superiority, and instead replacing it with humble trust in Jesus Christ and love for those whom he used to have good reason to hate. Can you see how the resurrection of Jesus reconciles enemies? And maybe better, the resurrection of Jesus creates a family out of people who previously had reason to hate each other. And I say it that way because this is the moment, friends, when the Christian church became multicultural and multinational. This is the moment when the resurrected Jesus established a family that was not defined by tribe or by politics or by race or by nation or even by moral record, but rather a family united by Christ's grace alone. And Jesus has been doing that for 2,000 years. Now, I can imagine somebody saying, wait a minute, you're not talking about the church, are you? Have you ever experienced church? To which I respond, yes, I have some experience with the matter. I even have funny clothes to put on that I get from church. Yeah, the church is atrocious at this often. However, the failure of the church, at times the apostasy of the church on these matters, doesn't undermine the reality of Jesus Christ any more than Peter's denial undermined the reality of Jesus Christ. And friends, Jesus has not stopped doing this. I could tell you stories. I'm quite tempted. I could tell you stories of John Newton, slave trader, wrote Amazing Grace. Well, before he did that, he became a Christian. And then he sought to contribute to the end of slavery. But I could tell you stories closer to home. As I was working on this passage, I thought of a friend of mine. I can't really give details. It probably wouldn't be appropriate. But a friend of mine who is a citizen of a nation who everybody agrees is an enemy of our own. And he had a dream. He had a dream of Jesus in his home country where it's not legal to, be, to become a Christian. He had a dream of Jesus like Cornelius. And you know, it took my friend eight years to find a group of Christians who would fill in the details. And when we met him, friends, we became family. Family. And I can tell you about another friend who grew up in an African nation and fought in a civil war in that African nation and who lost family. And he told me what it's like to lose family. And then he met Jesus. And then he spent the latter part of his life teeming and often submitting to the leadership of people who used to be some of his opponents as they worked together to tell other people about Jesus Christ and about this reconciliation. Jesus is still doing this today, and don't you for a minute believe he's not. He is alive, and he is here, 
and he wants to reconcile. And he wants to reconcile you first by reaching into your soul as he reached into Peter. And he wants to find the shame and the fear and the guilt and the hate that you want to deny is there. He wants to find it and it's going to feel... It's not going to feel good at first, but then he's going to kill it at the cross. And then he's going to resurrect love and joy and courage and peace, a peace that you cannot find anywhere else. And then he's going to unite you with a family. And, and as if that isn't enough, he's going to commission you as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, his ambassador of reconciliation. And friend, once you taste that reconciliation, that is going to give you a joy that you are never going to get tired of celebrating. In fact, at the end of the Bible, it paints a picture of the family that Jesus has formed. And it says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation and from all tribes and all peoples and all languages, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. Jesus died and rose again to form that family. He beckons you into it. And those who are in it, he has commissioned you as ambassadors. So friends, alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. 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 Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.